there's tons of other people who have the same sets of values, right? In fact, we've hired some of them, right? So, uh, or married some of them and then hired them or whatever, right? We haven't done it the other direction, but yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 455 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is February 16th, 22 by 4. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for letting us grab your money every month to help support this podcast. All right, listen up. Hmm. Last week... We did a whole ass episode about localization. It's pretty fun, pretty interesting topic. Uh, if you're interested in that, go back and you know, give that thing a listen. But this week we decided let's just do some questions because, you know, we sort of didn't last week. Yeah. Uh, so we want to know what you want to know. So let's just head on over to our questions or podcast.bscotch.net. What you wanted to know is what we, because we don't yeah. know, you know. We don't know if you still want to know, yeah, but, but, you know. But, but, well, Some of these questions might enough. be might be a little old. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, highest upvoted question comes from Upposite Flitwhip, who says, yeah. Hey, B-Scotch gang, I was curious how you guys decide on how to price your game or games. Ooh, fun. <laughs> it definitely seems hard to gauge something like that when you have a whole studio of people to pay and have literally years of development ahead without knowing how much the game is going to be able to make for you. Curious how you guys end up getting that number. Also related, how much are you going to charge for Crashlands 2? Mm, all right. I'll answer the second okay. question, which is don't know that one yet. So I'm not yeah. going to... This is one of those we like will Bob. not decide until we absolutely have to kinds of questions. Yes. So how do we decide well, when I we think absolutely we talked about this to. a little bit before, which is that so the so the the opposite asks the question in an interesting way, which is that it's framed in part around the idea of how much money you can make or you need to make, right? Because you're paying people for development and stuff. And unfortunately, you know, the amount of money that it costs you to make something is not necessarily related the amount of money that you get to ask people to pay for it, right? It does yeah. for, is that, Seth, is that a commodity? Is that the name for, like the thing where there's like a pretty direct input-output kind of relationship of like it costs us this much in like resources and people to make the thing so we sell it for that oh, much. Yeah, I don't know. Is whatever. Yeah, yeah but, but but basically. But that's not how yeah, it works. It's, it's, short yeah, it's a question of like in a, in a standard way of thinking about economics, there's your supply and demand curve, right? Which you, you basically say like, okay, I think that if I sell my game for $20, I will sell 100,000 copies. Therefore, I'll make X dollars, right? Uh, if I sell it for $15, then I'll sell more copies, but I need to sell enough more copies that it compensates for the change in price. That's right? cheaper, yep. That's, that's how you would think about most things, right? Um, and then like in economics, people talk about some basic stuff like substitution theory, which is, okay, well, if something gets too expensive, then people will say, well, I'll buy something else that's similar, right? Oh, my favorite brand of, of butter is too expensive now at the grocery store. I'll buy the generic brand, yeah. right? Doesn't work um, for media, for things that doesn't, are one of a kind. It yes. doesn't work for games for a, a bunch of specific reasons. Um, one is that... People do not know what it is that they are buying. Yeah. And the price is actually an incredibly important indicator 
of the value or of the experience. So something that I think we probably mentioned this quite a while back about the first Crashlands game. Uh, we launched it on Steam at $15. Mm-hmm. And after a while, we were looking at how the game was responding to sales and stuff like that. And we, you know, kind of roped in this economic theory. And we were like, well, it looks like if we drop it to $10, we will make more money because mm-hmm. we'll sell enough extra copies, right? And so it's like, great, win-win. We get more money, more people get to play the game, it's cheaper, perfect. But we would we, need to sell, because if it's going from 15 bucks to 10, then we would need to be selling. Percents are always weird when you start, like it 50, seems obvious. Sell 50% more copies. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, yeah every 50% stuff, production. I'm like, uh, do I need to take one over this to <laughs> yeah. get the right number or one minus it to get the right number, you know? But yeah, but yeah. it's 50% more copies. Um, so that's a lot yeah. more copies. It's a lot more copies. more copies. And what we found was that, so we reduced the price to $10 and we sell 0% more copies. Demand stayed the same. Yeah. Actually, and actually there was a short period of time where it, it actually went did down. worse for a little bit. Yeah. Demand dipped. So and there's a reason so, for that, right? Which is again, like I said, price is a signal also to a consumer about how good the good is, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Something's priced like 30 bucks, 40 bucks as a video game. You know, if you're hitting like 30 and 40 bucks, you know, you know now that you're in the what you'd call, I think, like either triple I or double A tier, which is like these are they're higher investment games that typically have been worked on for a longer period of time. You know, yeah. If you're in the like sixty, seventy dollars space, you're in triple A territory, and if you're in the like twenty, twenty five and under, like tw- I guess maybe like fifteen to twenty five is like yeah. the top I think tier indie space, and then like sub that fifteen is below like is any random thing that's a random anything. Guy. Yeah. And if you think about this logically, right? So like, let's say, let's take a game like Nuclear Throne, for example. Mm -hmm. You could play a Nuclear Throne for like 200 hours if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. It's roguelike. It's got like infinite replayability. Um, And there are some games that are AAA games that cost $60 that you could maybe play for 10 hours and be kind of done with it, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, If Nuclear Throne charged $60, people would be like, what the fuck is this? Why is this $60? I'm not buying this for $60. Because again... Price of a game has nothing to do with what is actually going on with the game, the experience, the amount of playtime, the whatever. It's it's a the game gets kind of locked in and like it's pegged into a spot in the market based on consumer perception, and it has to operate within that. Yes, because yeah, price is always what people are willing to pay. That's the only thing it's related That's it. to. And yeah. the reason that people are willing to pay for things is dumb. In terms of like people's rationales for why they would not pay $60 for Nuclear Throne, but they would pay $60 for some AAA game that they throw away after five hours is their rationale is, well, it's a big budget game. It costs more. What does that, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's I think it's the idea that like that because people also have this idea with all kinds of stuff, right? Where like well, people still think of price as basically related to the cost of making the thing, right? So, yes. so. So they basically, if they're looking at like a nuclear throne versus a, a big budget AAA game, they're like, well, this costs way less to make. Therefore, I shouldn't have to pay as much for it as actually. But but it's not that clean because people also will pay more if they think it looks better to them. Right. And so yes. on. Right? So so yeah. how people decide what that, price yeah. if seems fair, because also and even, even though Seth, you're saying like, you know, the time spent, all that kind of stuff. Once people do start playing a game, they keep reevaluating how much they paid for it based on their experience of the game after the fact. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. that's where you get all those complaints where if a game seems short, but the cost actually just if it seems short, period. But especially yeah. if it seems short and the cost was relatively high for games like that, whatever that means, right? 
then that's where you get all those complaints of people being like, oh, it's not worth it. I only, I only got to play for 12 hours for this $20 game or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and now they start doing like a price per dollar or sorry, like a dollar per hour of experience kind of a thinking, which yeah. which they don't apply which, in most other contexts, right? Which but, doesn't apply in basically any other context. Yeah. Nobody cares about that for books, movies, movies yep. vacations. Any other life experience is not evaluated in Dollars, dollars per, hour. per hour of entertainment. Only games get this comment. Yeah. Well, it only by a subset of people, right? Because I think the yeah, initial exactly. thing here yeah. is that the reality is then that in order to, in order to price a game effectively, what you have to do is be able to just ask the question uh, either to yourself in that vague way where you're asking your asking the multitudes through yourself, or literally ask the multitudes and be like, "What other games look?" And this is important. Look like the game that I have. And I mean it. Or feel know, like sense. even. Or yeah. feel like, yeah, that's yeah. the one. But the look one is important because you can make a game that is, say, uh, like kind of an uglier 2D thing that feels like, I don't know, some like big badass, you know, kind of top-down-y turn, I don't know, yeah. Baldur's Gate. It could feel mm -hmm. like that because it's like there's a story and it's turn-based and it's got this cool, these cool like combat mechanics. Like, like, fall, like Fallout or, 2 or something, you know, like Fallout yes. 2 versus Baldur's Gate, right? Same vibe actually, but yeah. experience. Kind of. And appearance-wise, very different. Very different. It's so I think importantly you have to you have to look along both those dimensions, but actually have an air on the on the looks like one. Because again, these are experienced goods, which means people don't really know how good it is until they're in it. And so Well, what it looks like is also what gives people the impression of how much it costs to make. Exactly. Because right. point being like if, if Nuclear Throne was remade in Unreal Engine, mm -hmm. then you could charge sixty dollars for it, even though it, it would, would have exactly easier. the same mechanics. I think, but also I think it would have been easier to make if no, you could charge <laughs> probably thirty dollars for it. Yeah. You would never be able to charge sixty dollars for it. I think oh, because because you have to come uh, from a triple A studio to do that. Well it's a scale problem thing, which yeah. is like it's not it's actually it's one thing of graphics in the general sense, like you got nice shaders. There's like three D models doing stuff. But like the level of stuff happening in a AAA title, as far as like what you just see on screenshots for reals, it is just different. Like it's on another fucking level, right? On a visual standpoint. I don't think, well, yeah, on a visual standpoint, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. And so it's like, I yeah. think I think what it is, like people are, essentially what you're doing, if you're looking at a storefront, right? Then you're just saying, what does my game look like? And then, yeah, within the genre that I'm in, what do games what two games that look like the game that I have typically go for? And then my two cents is that you always pick the highest number in that that you can stomach. Because yeah. again, that's uh, and you will in if you can find a price point that's high. If you have a high quality game that's a price point that's high in your market pocket, mm -hmm. right? Then that will probably bring the game to the most people because economics don't apply here. Right. It's yes. not supply. It's not as price goes down, demand goes up. It's as price goes up, demand goes up, up to a point. <laughs> yep. And so if you want lots of people to experience your game, you have to charge the most you can for it. Yeah. So that people view it as a high quality thing that they want. But it's also, very strange. The can, though, and the can is important. Yeah. Right. That's where all the. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is also why, for example, when, you know, we launched Crashlands at $15 on Steam and. $5 on mobile mm -hmm. because a high quality mobile game is $5. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a high quality indie mobile game. There were, there were at the time games like XCOM and stuff that came out like an iPad for $20. And that was a scandal, by the mm -hmm. way, a triple a game coming out for $20 on iPad. Same game, same mm -hmm. game as it is on, on desktop. Yeah, but the fact that it's on an iPad makes it suddenly one third the the price just because mm -hmm. uh, again that's where it lives in in the market. It's yeah, nothing to do with the game. Yeah, price <laughs> price is imaginary. It's just what people will pay. And also to go back to the, the idea of like 
that it's not that it doesn't follow econ, like economics. It's that economics doesn't apply to anything actually. Like the, the basic rules that you see in like econ one hundred and one kind of stuff. Economics so, ignores psychology in, in yeah most because economics like, assumes that price is the only thing people act on, which. Everybody knows is not true. Well, price right? and utility, and which utility, is a yeah. made-up economics thing yeah, that doesn't yeah. exist. I, th- right? I think they use that to try to compensate for the fact that price is insufficient and try to capture everything else in that, you know. But, uh, but you can't. It's way more complicated. And we've talked about this in the past too, and we've tried done like sales experiments and stuff, right? And find that like the more on sale you go for games, the less money you make actually up to a point, and all of a sudden you make way more. But it's actually because what really matters is people being able to see it. Not mm-hmm. really its price yeah. exactly. And then also what's basically the, all of the levers here just get all they get all tangly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think your best strat is but again again, you can't overprice it because then you have a you have a basically a promise problem. And I want to talk about vampire survivors, okay? Because I feel like it's gonna come up. Okay. Because that fucking game sold for five dollars on Steam, right? Mm-hmm. So you might say, Hey, could they have maybe asked for ten dollars? No. But if you look at it, again, just look at it. No, you could not ask for more than $5. <laughs> and that's that's the easy answer. And that and was probably the highest price point they could justify to get people through the door. Yes, because yeah. you still yeah. need to get people through the door. And so, yeah. But it's also remarkable. I think it's a, it's an interesting case study. Also, because you have to always be careful with any case study, too, about how representative it is, right? Um, but I think I think from a price point of like saying, like, oh, yeah, like it wouldn't have been able to price more. I think that's true. I think now it could because now it already yeah, has cultural people, weight. Because people know what it is. Yes, yeah. But I think the, to me the interesting thing is that it got even that, that even at the $5 price point that it got kicked off at all because, like we're saying, a $5 price point is an indicator to a – to yes. the audience of low quality, right? But it doesn't mean that it is. That means that's what that's what the person viewing it interprets as. Like if I see a three dollar game on Steam, I ignore it. I don't. Need, I the price alone makes me not look further because I'm like. But the but right? the weird thing is like because like that's close to five dollars. But five dollars basically says, hey, this is one of the best low quality games you can exactly. Buy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right? Five. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> so I still smart. wouldn't look at it. But yeah, but. It's way more likely I would look at it. But to me, the interesting thing yeah. is that enough people looked at it at $5 and were like, and weren't immediately thrown off by the price point of being like, this is too low to be a good But game. it's because the graphics match. It looked like a yeah. $5. I don't know how to put it. It looked like a $5 game. But it had like, to also look like a $5 game you wanted to try. Well, that's what I mean. It's, this is not to say that $5 games are not, it's not necessarily the case that a $5 game is bad. I think it's- no, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's not. But it, but it's yeah. a hard sell. Just because it's yeah. cheap doesn't mean people yeah. are going to get it. Yeah. But I think what you've seen since, though, is there's a now a bunch more Survivors-style games in, so like that whole genre basically kicked off, that are higher production value. And they do charge more. There's like, there's $10 ones. There's like $15 ones. I saw but they're still cheap. Because well, it's still the gameplay. Cheap, right? yeah. It's just about what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, because the, the visuals were looks. So I think that's, that's the interesting note on like how to- kind of find the range. And the reason you pick the highest from all the stuff we talked about is on top of that, the sales problem, which is that yeah. your game is actually going to be on sale a lot. just all the fucking time. Like, like once you get past the first, you know, six months or so of like minimal promotion or depending on how you do it, um, the game's just going to be on sale kind of forever. And so the reality and basically is basically like, all of your future revenue after launch comes from sales just yes. proportionally. Yeah. And so you have that combo too, where it's like, okay, that means that, Let's say, let's say you, you could price the game at either, you know, let's say it's like your first indie game. It like looks all right, you know, um, and you, you like think basically $15 is like the absolute most that you could like get away with. So you, you park it there like 15 bucks. Okay, sure. Um, now when you do sales and stuff like that for 30% off, which is like, you know, a fucking lot when you also have to give Valve 30% of the money you get too, then you're still actually making some money off it versus if you pick, you're like, oh, I don't want to, like, I want more people to play it. I don't want to like offend anybody by asking for, I don't know, 
I'm just going to ask for $10 for this game. Um, you know, like I said, probably less people buy it because it'd be like, I guess it can't be that good if it's only selling for $10. And then you're going to get the sales problem, which is now, for the, just for the rest of the time, you're like, you're severely nuking the amount of uh, money you make, right? Yeah, so, somehow $10 is is a no man's land, I feel like. I think it's got to be, it's because it doesn't it has feel to like be, it has an opinion. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because if it's $5, it's like, well, like, this is this cheap. Is, this is a cheap game, but like yeah. it's still five dollars, so it's not like dirt cheap. Yeah. So if it's, it's ten dollars, it feels decent. like you liked the number ten. You know, it doesn't feel like it has any relationship. I think ten dollars yeah. is a coward's price. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. it is. It is, and we, we found that out when and like everybody agrees with that sentiment because yeah. when we priced our game at ten dollars, they were yeah. like these weenies, right? Because because yeah. I think it's they don't believe in this game. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think it's your price because I, I think you're pricing it in a vacuum. It's not about the game. It's basically you saying like. It's basically you saying like I don't, th- I'm not comfortable saying my game is only worth five dollars is what you're saying, right? Yes, but I'm also definitely not comfortable with it being definitely not comfortable with being fifty bucks. Yeah, uh, so so I'm gonna just pick a number that feels like people would be okay with it. Yeah, it feels like it's I about think, everybody else. This is me too. Like you can also, you can play this game a little bit too. Like if you're trying to price it instead of instead of trying to find the number, you basically ask the same question, which is like, okay, you know, if I were to price it at say $15. How would I feel if, say, I, I suggested that price to Steam and they're like, actually, your game's $10, right? But I'd be like, that's not, that's not correct. Like, there's a lot more stuff in there. You know what I mean? Like, you can kind of, you play a few of these little thought experiment games. Mm-hmm. Or if they were like, actually, uh, you need to sell this for like $20. Would you be like, I feel like that's making some promises that I'm not going to be able to back up. You know what I mean? Like, is that too much? Yeah. The, I would say the best way to think about this is, I, so one of the terms that people use when talking about gaming is theory crafting, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like running all these simulations and, and like tr- crunching the numbers and trying to figure out best ways to, to play a game, right? And you can try to do some theory crafting about about pricing, but ultimately what you really need to do is feely crafting, Yep. which is you got to just feel out the sentiment of the market, of the players, of your own gut, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you got to be bold and commit, yeah, <laughs> and there's no it's right hard. answer. There's, there's just no right answer. And there's no way to find out if you if you chose quote unquote the right thing. The right thing could, but also depends on your goals and you know and so on, right? But but because uh, the only way to find out find that out would be to split the universe and do different things on each branch of the universe and see what the outcome mm-hmm. was that was better. Because yeah. once once the game's on out, once it's out, that's the defining moment. That's like it just is what yeah. it is from that point forward. And you and might yet. you might look at it and be like, oh fuck, if I charge five dollars more on that game. I don't think it would have hurt sales at all. And now I'd have 20% more money, right? <laughs> like, yeah. And that's that's kind of the, that's the downside of the choice at the end of it is no matter what you do, it's not going to be the case that you like will end up being know. confident you threaded the needle yeah. perfectly and that you didn't lose or come out worse or come out ahead, right? Uh, and you're trying – I think a lot of – so much what we're trying to do is avoid being filled with regret on the other side of yes. launching the game. So I yeah. think for me it's like will Crash Sense 2 be $15? No. It's going to be more than fifteen dollars, and it definitely won't be ten. It definitely won't be ten. Yeah, it's also that's also you know, <laughs> that we're a safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah. will it will be, it more be than forty dollars? Like, no, absolutely not. No, nope. so probably crazy. somewhere between twenty and, and thirty. Thirty, you know, somewhere probably, depending there. on where things are at. Well, yeah, you know, I, yeah, even I look like, around. So, I haven't looked around recently. So yeah, we've looked around, but like, yeah, without even s- s- without setting a price because we don't want to play that game right now, right? But like, if we just kind of like think through, like what. 
when we're talking about the crash and steel, like why, what's pushing us towards like 20 or towards 30 or pushing away. Exactly. Right. So like for, so $40, like a, ga- a 2D kind of, t- like that doesn't happen. You don't sell games for $40 that price. It doesn't make 2D sense, games right? are very hard to sell at 40 Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and actually $20, if you're looking at like the, also that same kind of genre, like that's also honestly kind of a hard sell like for that subset of the market, right? On the other hand, games have become more expensive recently because they have to because everything is, right? So so the kind of the price point is is actually kind of drifting up a bit for mm-hmm. what these things go for. Um, and... Uh, for like a really solid indie title, typically these days you're looking at twenty to thirty dollars, right? Yep. yep. Um, and so we're trying to use the price as to like indicate, hey, this is a really solid indie title. Is what we're trying to do, right? Um, but also we have original Crashlands as a point of comparison, right? And the users or the players that who have original Crashlands are one of our core target audiences for Crashlands 2. So the price of Crashlands 2 has to feel like it makes sense proportionally to what they paid for Crashlands 1, right? And so if they, not what they paid, sorry, what it's priced at, because those, that's an important yeah, distinction. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if they're saying like Crashlands was $15 game, um, and if somebody like Crashlands, they're going to be like, okay, that makes sense, right? So if Crashlands 2 is, when they're looking at it and they're doing their evaluations, they're like, well, it is twice as good. That's what I'm saying. You know, two X thirty bucks. There you go, done. Right, like, like, can we convince people that that's true, and 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 have them think about things in that way? Because that's not the only way people think about it. Is the problem? Absolutely not. Also, you're not just selling to people who play the original one. No, you're also selling to new people. The goal is, and honestly, it's four times as good because it is twice the resolution of the original. Yeah, it's four times uh, the pixels. So, if the way the industry works has taught us anything. And yeah, it's going to have probably four times the amount of the duration of experience. Frankly, Possibly. exactly. Probably. So yeah. I guess it's a $60 game is what I'm saying. Yeah, just yeah, multiply yeah. it. Just by the numbers. Dollars, <laughs> yeah. dollar, we need to keep the dollars per hour of experience similar. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. again, that's how that's how games work. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Which is all to say, like, we don't have an answer yet. And, and before we settle on one, we're going to have to do what we always do, which is at the point we finally have to make a decision – like Sam said, we're going to go look in the market and see what are games going for, uh, what are the popular games going for, what are the unpopular games going for, or how how did the games that price stuff at that same price point do? Um, did many do surprisingly worse, and do we think that's because there's a price point problem here and, like, just some lucky games got away with a higher price point or whatever? You know, we just have to kind of do a lot of fuzzy, fuzzy guessing. Um, feely craft. Feely craft. Come up with a number and then just... Hope we didn't completely fuck our launch. But that's yep. really the best we can do. Yeah. yeah. So I know that doesn't answer your question. Yeah. But unfortunately, if somebody that, tells you, know, you there's an answer to this, don't fuck don't walk away. That person does not yeah. is not trustworthy because you can't know. You cannot and you can't launch know. you can't launch the same game at two different prices on the same day and see which one does better. Oh, also I will say, you do know. not ask, do not ask players how much the game should cost. Absolutely not. Nope. Do not do that. <laughs> do not. The answers you get will be unsurprising, which will be, how come it's not free? That's always the question. And then if it is free, how come it's monetized at all? So don't, just don't yeah. worry about, don't worry about it. The common even, thing, if, even if they're trying to be honest, even if they're trying not to only think about what they, that they want it to be free, uh, what they say they're going to, it's like an exit poll, right? Let's like, how do you, even, even something as fundamental as like, hey, you got two insanely different binary choices in an election, right? If you ask a person who they're going to vote for 
before they go do it. It's kind of uncorrelated, it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) You would think something that simple could be- Did you make up your mind before? No, apparently not. I'm going really to fucking wing it. Because like that yeah. day of the election, you ate a, you had a weird burrito for breakfast and it kind of kind of hit you funny and whoops. Yep. Whoops. Wow. Checked a different box than you intended yeah, to. I, you know? I think it's it's more you important just to look have to at pick. the market yes. and be, again, what does my game look like? What's the genre? And just use that. Kind of make a little scatter plot if you want. Yeah. It's it does require you to critically and honestly evaluate like what you what how somebody else would perceive your game. And I think one of the problems in the indie space is that it's well, actually, it just goes both ways, but in all spaces, but particularly in the, in the indie space, is that people tend to either really overinflate, um, but more usually they tend to yes. devalue the thing that they've made. Um, and so, if you which can, has a, that is a knock on consequence too. Yeah, because it, it brings the whole market well. cost down for indie titles. Well, as well. No, but also for that game specifically, reducing the the barrier to entry. So this is kind of like we talked about about the Apple Vision Pro a couple weeks back, mm-hmm. where they're selling that fucking thing at three thousand five hundred dollars base, yeah. right? And then with other peripherals and stuff, you're you know you're you're basically like taking out a second mortgage to get this thing. Mm-hmm. The only people buying this thing are people who really really want it. Yep, yep. So the people who are talking about their experiences with it, making YouTube videos or whatever. They will they largely it. have they'll largely have positive things to say because buyer's remorse is is painful and people will try to find ways to you know justify their their purchase or, but, or whatever. But even right? if they're not doing that, they didn't buy it on a whim, right? They did their research, they thought about it carefully, they decided to buy it and so on. So even if they yeah. turn out to not like it. It'll still they be were a thoughtful. Informed, they're an informed yeah. person who got it in the first yeah. place. Right now, if it was now, if a Vision Pro was nine dollars, okay, just I'd buy one. I don't even have. Yeah, I'd buy. I'd one. buy I'd one just to. I'm, I have no interest in it. Yeah, zero. But it's so cheap at that point. I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. You know, and then and I would get like, it, and I would hate it, and I would write so yeah. many bad reviews. Right, and so. So by reducing that barrier to entry, you bring people into the door who actually have no business being there, right? Because they didn't want to be there to begin with, but they're just kind of curious. And then they will say negative things about it because the thing isn't for them. But you've lowered the barrier enough that they just walked right in, right? And so that's another weird thing that you got to think about with like if you you devalue your own game price-wise, then you also suppress the the public perception of the game because you've – You've widened the the user base to a point where it's it's the wrong people are playing it now, and you're it's going to be poorly reviewed. So I do think one of the most right. impressive things is a game that is around that is around five or ten dollars that has something like overwhelmingly positive reviews. Oh yeah, truly, that's amazing. a banger. That's you a banger. Know it's going to be fucking good yeah. because it's yeah. like because everybody can play it because it's so cheap. It's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. So or like, a game where there's a strong disconnect between what it looks like it should be priced at and what it is priced at in a positive direction. And it's like way more expensive. Yes. And it has RimWorld. To me, RimWorld is the core. Yeah, exactly. Every time I saw RimWorld until I think it was Seth finally, who was like, everybody just absolutely has to play this game. Uh, but every time I'd seen it pop up, I like I would just look at it and be like, "Why is this thirty dollars?" And then I would move it had on. Like yeah, like hundred thousand reviews. Yeah, and, I was like, and it's no, it is like ninety eight point five percent positive. Yeah, you know? and, yeah. And for for me, it was the same. We're like at that game was in early access for like three years or four years by the time I I played it, and it had something like twenty thousand mm-hmm. reviews at that point. And like I had seen it, and I had seen people talking about it and whatever, but. You know, it just didn't really strike me as making sense. Because how would it? How would I be looking at it? And then it it hit a certain threshold where it's just like, you know what? I'm in the wrong. 
Yeah, like, I, th- if I, this, think, I think if what this it many is, people say this is good. Is that paying attention to the contrast between those two things, yeah. right? This thing looks terrible. It is priced kind of high, which confuses the shit out of me, and everyone's enthused. Yeah. It's like, that's a very good signal, actually. But the signal that's is actually, not the two pieces. That is a good it's way, a, I think. Yeah, I think Sam, it's, it's a good way to pick a game, is to say, is to look for the places where you would think that the mismatch or or just the, the either the, the fact that it's a really low price because that's already a surprise yep so either the fact that it's a low price or there's a strong mismatch between what you perceive the price should be and what it is yes and and yet large numbers of people have positively reviewed it yep. i think anytime you see a game in that category if you're if you're into games if you just like to play stuff mm-hmm. right just get it you're going to have a good time probably make a good time no? yep it's going to be good uh, yeah so yeah i don't know that's how you price games <laughs> it's just, just like guess. Yeah, which yeah. we did at the end of our play test for Crashlands 2 back in November, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for fun, because again, you don't want to yeah. ask your players how much the game should be and then actually use that information. But just for fun, I just wanted to get a sense of like of what people would say if I asked about Crashlands mm-hmm. 2. So I had a little exit interview. You know, so, yeah. so I asked, not not again, not to use it, but just because I wanted to see what people would say, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I saw basically what I, I was I was actually largely pleased because people weren't I, I had one I think I had an option there that was just like essentially free you know ten dollars or whatever right um, and I was I was pleased that nobody picked that out of like thirty respondents or something like that uh, and uh, but then what people did pick just varied along the whole fucking range you know because I, yeah. I and just for fun I was like also forty dollars even though like we're not going to put crash to forty dollars probably. Uh, and but but a handful of people picked that too, right? Mm-hmm. It's because the experience they had playing the game, they were like, "Yeah, I could see like if I had paid forty dollars for this, it would feel worth it, right?" But would that person have paid forty dollars to try it out up front? Fuck nope. no, yeah, because they don't know that it's that good. Yep. Oh, if they haven't bought it, yeah. Yeah, so it, again. It, yeah, you can play the same game with like any game that you really like, right? Like if you th- like any of the game, like if take any of your favorite games and ask like how much, knowing what you know now, how much would you be willing to pay for it if you got to like. If you had to do it again, it's got to start a fresh mm-hmm. enough. Like any game you pick, I would imagine you'd be like almost any amount I could afford is the actual answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I were to be able to like replay Subnautica again, which was what a forty dollar game or something, like mm-hmm. I'd pay a hundred dollars for that experience. It's fucking amazing. One yeah. of the best. One of the best experiences you know exactly what it is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what's interesting about a game like like WoW, which I've been subscribing to for nearly twenty years. Still yeah. at like $13 a month, right? Yeah. So like I paid like thousands of dollars yeah, yeah, thousands to play this game. Yeah. But also it's just every every six months, basically, I just get to reevaluate whether it has been worth it up to this point mm. and whether I want to you know, purchase another six months. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's... Sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes it's less good and, yeah. and I have taken breaks. Uh, and sometimes you're kind and, of but, mad about the fact that you're still willing to pay for it, right? Yeah, because yeah. uh, like, you know, sometimes it's like there's enough good things in it and my friends are playing it and blah, blah, blah and it's still fun enough, but like this, they've, they've added some jank to it where I'm like, Ugh. all right, you know, <laughs> and, I'll, all right. and I'll, I'll pony up the cash, you know. But again, like that's a very different decision-making metric because I've been playing this game for 20 years. Yeah. It's not like I don't know what I'm getting into, yeah. right? So, yeah, but I think I guess the reason why, yeah, if you ask people after they've played your game, what the price will be again, you can't actually use that. Can't use it. Yep. Can't use it. Because it's like, it's that, that's, a, that's, that's a different question at that point. That's not yeah. how yeah. the market's reacting on it from screenshots. Totally different. Yeah. You're, you're selling the game to people who don't have it. So, yep. You got to play, you got to play this horrible yeah. game. Yeah. 
of just guessing what Jeez. is going to be fine and then knowing that in the end nobody's happy about paying for things right so so people people want their money and you want their money and yeah, well that's, that's how money works you know, <laughs> you, know no, you can't have it yeah, both you ways just have to I, I think people are typically very happy about paying for things after they've been able to experience it and it was good yeah if they feel like in they fact, got their money's worth the other side but yeah. exactly oftentimes they'll pay a lot more after that that's the whole yeah. microtransactions approach right but um yeah Upfront is hard, so you do your best. We'll be cheering yeah. for you, you know. And also, well, which is also an argument a, for trying to move some of the payment after the initial purchase for the kind for games where you could be highly confident that players would come in and be like, "Wow, I'd spend almost any amount of money on this thing." Right? The, yep. That's where throw some DLCs in there. Yep. Yeah, price them reasonably. Give people good stuff that they want. And, you know, yep. which like we haven't done DLCs yet, but I don't know. Good. It's not off the table for like Crash too. If yeah. if uh, if things go well, you know. Uh, our next question comes from Captain Jazz, who says, one of the most common perspectives I hear re- regarding starting a business is to not work with family. Why do you guys believe it works well for you? Before you we get into ask. our own case, yeah. uh, I will say this is good advice. Friends and family, yes. be extremely careful about when, going into business with them. When someone says they're a family company, also squint very yeah. hard. Suspicious. Because similar to when people ask or basically say, give this advice, the problem is when you're using the word family, what do you mean? Right. We talk yeah. about because I think under the typical use case, the reason it makes sense why that is a bad idea is because typically uh, a lot of, I mean, families are very complex systems. You got a lot of personalities locked together for a long time. You know, there's a lot of challenges in terms of how do people communicate with each other? How effective are they at resolving conflict like within and among themselves? How long do they allow problems to like say fester before, you know, bringing them up? That sort of thing. Yeah. And for friends and family, you have a lot of, you have a lot of external factors involved with allowing miscommunication and festering problems and and that kind of stuff to just persist. Right. Yes. Um, which in the context of trying to accomplish something together as a team, which I would argue is also what like family units and friend units should be trying to do too. Right. But, uh, but that's not, people don't really think about stuff in that way. Uh, but in the context of like trying to accomplish something where there's now risk, where now people put, have put money in, they're putting time in, you've got employees, like all that kind of stuff is happening. Uh, that kind of stuff becomes a real problem. And, and so I think, I think, I think to me, like that kind of, it just boils down to that, that it's too easy in these, in a family and friend context for things to just be unresolved so that the people involved have never had to learn how to do that with each other. Yeah. And yep. a business can't survive that. that well, there's, there's also, there's also a couple of other dimensions to this, which is why do people work with family? Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes it's just out of convenience. Yeah. Right. Like you and your cousin are just like, Hey, we both like cars. Let's start up an auto repair shop. Yeah. Cause you need somebody. Right? <laughs> need somebody. Yeah. Now, did you vet that person? Did you well, I've known them check 15 their resume? Years, so yeah, yeah. Of no, you did not, right? Just yeah. because you've been around them a bunch doesn't mean you actually understand what they're capable of in a professional setting. And so I think that oftentimes issues with this is it's just it's a, it's a, you know, it's the reason people there's a word for it which is nepotism, right? Which is like giving a family member a, basically a free pass into getting uh, work at a at a company or independent a role a, of their whatever, skill independent of their of their skills, right? Yep. And it's like that's oftentimes how people end up working together as family. And then then you have the knock on problem, which is once you discover that this family member can't do the things that you need them to do, or vice versa, they discover that you can't do the things they needed you to do. 
uh, somebody's got to get fired. Yeah, because now the cost of breaking yeah. the relationship in the business context can also be the relationship outside of the business context, which also means, again, the problems just stay there because the cost seems too high to yeah. deal with it. And so – Yep. I so think the, I th- yeah. the, like the, the way to tackle it, the reason why I think it's worked for us is because Butterscotch is not the first time that we've worked together at all. Right. So one is that, I mean, in a simpler way, you know, growing up, we did all sorts of, there were like tons of chores and also just projects and stuff that we did as a little, as a little weird, you know, ragtag crew doing stuff. So you got, and again, that's not much, but it's something. But then I think it was before well, we did we were a bunch college. Of- yeah, before we got out of college, though, like so, Seth and I worked at a grocery store. We worked at the same grocery store, and sometimes we worked same shifts. So, like, we worked around each other. We worked with each other. Yeah. yeah, we worked with each other. And then, if I think in college, or maybe right after college, for you guys, we had mm-hmm. that like custom computer parts company for summer. We started up. Oh, a, yeah. we, we tried to start up a company. Mind, and, and, you know, it was mind mind forge. forge. Yeah. yeah, it was a a bunch of bad ideas, but we learned a lot. You yeah, know? we learned a lot. And, it and was like, very interesting. But, it was time then, limited. It was like a three month thing. You know. Like, yeah, like, let's see what we can do in three months. And if it goes, it goes. And if not, oh, well, we'll go all go back to school. Yep. And it didn't go. And then we all went back to school. Yep. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, later, then um, Seth and I did game jams together a few times. Yeah. And then we worked at Simutronics for then eight we, months yeah, together. We worked somewhere else together, right? Yeah. So we had been seeing each other in some kind of a, a, a team, like task-oriented, goal-oriented environments, whether it was working together at, at simpler places, growing up, doing all this, like, taking care of all this stuff that we had to do around but the house. Also, there's two together. factors to that too, right? Because one is it gives you an opportunity to evaluate what it's like to work with each other, right? Yes. Which is, which is the less active thing. And the other one that it does is allows you to to adapt to and like learn how to work with each other. Yes, right? and which if is you also a very big point. Yeah. You got to do both of those um, because otherwise – if you just see that you're like, oh, this person sucks and that's the end of it, right? Or yep. this person seems great and that's the end of it. Either way, if there's no adaptive process, if there's no like actual communication going on. And to me though, it's not even really about like the family thing. It's actually, I think kind of, as you guys are saying, like p- family business tend to happen out of convenience, independent of actually the relationships, the real relationships of yes. like who the people are and stuff. Um, but what matters the most for running a business together is shared values and common ways of thinking about work and work ethic, right? And shared goals that are not competing, right? Because if one of the three of us was a money-motivated person first, this wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Just wouldn't work. That, that, that's two cross-purposes yeah. with the – all three, all three of us are not, right? So if one of us suddenly wasn't, then that would be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just because you're family or just because you're friends doesn't mean you're aligned on any of those dimensions, yeah. right? In fact, it's uncorrelated. Those aren't, those aren't really things. But right? I think the, the 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 adaptive part to me is actually one of the biggest ones, which is I think yeah, there's definitely. a lot of this like, you know, I think a lot of people where they realize they're not harbor some idea of this thing that like, whether it's with your partner, with someone who's supposed to love you, right? Family, friends, romantic partner. There's this idea that like they should take, take you, you as how you are. Yeah. And I'm just going to say it. That's fucked up. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. <laughs> to just, well, I mean, truly, to like, just be, sense, like, in all scenarios, well, just be accepted face value with no changes. Yes. But it's right? how <laughs> you, it's, because well, I think the problem is we're lumping two things. Are people, you're people not trying to, but people lump two yes. things together. One is like yes. just what it actually means to be a person, you know, like your actual real traits and stuff. And the other one is what it means to have relationships and interact with other people, right? And that's the dimension along which that second one that you should never treat as fixed. That's that's a thing that you're negotiating constantly with the people that you're in relationships with. It's like, how do we act towards each other, right? 
But even the case like, give each other you know, feedback. And- can you talk to this person and trust that if you bring up an issue that they're going to listen to it and try to come to a solution, even if that means looking in the mirror and being like, I am the problem. Because yeah. if the answer is no, you absolutely fucking lose. You should not be starting a business together. You know, should you be romantic yeah. partners? I don't think so. Because that sounds like you're not going to be able to get further than whatever the first incident is, right? So it's like, if you cannot have those conversations, that to me is the bedrock of all these things. And yeah. the reality is that we've been able to have those conversations I don't know why. The, exactly. the other sort of nuance there too, though, is that just so people aren't getting the wrong idea, you know, yeah. is that is that also knowing that you, like you yourself, you don't get to decide how other people are supposed to be, right? So it's not a matter of being like, oh yeah, like nobody, like everybody should be change, everybody should change, everybody should be willing to change, etc. Uh, that's usually presented as like other people's problem, you know what I mean? Where it's like, where other people not adapting to you, right? Yeah, um, sometimes you are the problem. Back. Also, and I would actually say that most of the time, everybody's the problem, right? Yeah, that's well, that's that's usually the (laughs) reality of like a good relationship is is actually coming at it with that, which is like, how okay, there's this thing that maybe you did that is like aggravating me. Can we talk about it? And like, what does that mean? Is this also acknowledging that might be a you thing? Yeah, and like start, and in fact, start there. That's the that's the better place to start, right? And and again, like it's not about change the person or whatever. It's about understanding how do you become it's about understanding which parts are actually just fundamental, right? Like just parts of being a person, right? And which parts are just dynamic things that come from relationships between people and being able to deal with it mostly at that level. Cause that's actually the level that allows you to accomplish stuff together. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think one of the tenets that like, you know, my wife and I talk about a lot is, is the idea that doing hard things and and kind of like having a bad time while you're doing it is not particularly uncommon, right? Like that's that's kind of the that's kind of the mode typically where it's like, ah, I struggled through this, it was terrible. Look at this like thing I did, that was great. Could you like we asked the question, like, okay, if we're having a hard time with something that is hard, because it is objectively hard. We have a baby, right? It's a hard thing, parenting, mm-hmm. having a baby. Can you have a good time? While you're doing a hard thing, because again, it's not particularly impressive to be soldiering through. I mean, it's impressive in a different angle, but not the one that I care about, which is like, is the relationship effective enough to manage that kind of a payload in terms of stress, responsibility? Which is more just not accept. It's more just, I think, not 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 stopping at, because like things might just stay hard. That's possible too, right? But you're not stopping at. Do I have to have a bad time? Because things are hard. Yeah. You're still trying to find ways. Running a business is hard. Yeah. You're still trying to find ways to improve it, trying to find ways to, to, uh, commiserate about the fact that things are hard not just stop at like it's hard and certainly not stop at it's hard and it's your fault you know so yes, yes. person right you know it's got to the gonna, whole thing has to be a team experience is the short yeah, of it right yeah. I'm gonna flip this around I'm gonna say you should work with family Dude, whatever so. possible okay go depends uh, on your family so here's the thing <laughs> big asterisk the yeah. reasons the reasons that we're all talking about come down to people being bad at taking feedback, bad at communicating, trust also. and just bad at trust, bad at operating in any context where they need to maintain uh, team oriented relationships over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. And that will happen in your workplace, whether you are a family or not. The difference is if you don't have to go home to that person or see them outside of the work context, you can ignore it much more easily and not deal uh, with saying, the fact that you suck at this. Bring your work home with you so that you make your so work. So you can work on it. More like yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. Because for, for a family context where it's important to you to maintain that relationship. 
Yes. If you have, if there's somebody in your family who you can't stand, yes, obviously so don't I, work with I, that person. It's just an important nuance. It's just some people just do suck. That's just that's Some just people true. just suck. And, and some of them are your family members. Unre- that's true. And that's, yeah, so I'm not and that's saying any of our family yeah. members are. I love all my family members. Yeah, yeah. So but I'm saying, I, that's why we, we come up with this idea of capacity for change and ability to listen, right? Like, yeah. yeah. You could tell if someone like, I don't know, doesn't give a shit enough about anything you say to them. Obviously yeah. not a good and you can't. And if that anything. person is family or not, don't hire exactly. them. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. If somebody is a good listener, good at communicating, uh, can take feedback, is adaptable, and so are you, yeah. then work together. Yeah. It's basically does someone right? <laughs> does someone happen to be family and that's who you're working with? Because that's kind of where in my opinion, like we are, right? Is like there which isn't like fully right, because also the fact that we grew up together and like we it is why we work well together, right? Because which again doesn't have to be the outcome, but because yeah, it could also why. just be it could go the other way. Don't work well together, <laughs> but it is, but in our case it is right because we because we yeah. have because we have the shared foundation, which I think, I think to me more important than anything is we have our core shared values that we're yeah. aligned on are the importance of hard work, the importance of doing good work, and the importance of taking one for the team, right? And trying to figure and that, and because we all believe in those three sort of principles completely, um, then. We don't have to do. We don't have to fight on those dimensions, which are the hardest dimensions that you need to make everybody feel like things are fair and like you know, and everyone's putting in their all and everyone's accomplishing useful things, right? Um, that's but why we well, ended up there. But yeah. But also, it's not a requirement. Mm-hmm. There's tons of other people who have the same sets of values, right? In fact, we've hired some of them, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, or married some of them and then hired them or whatever, right? Uh, like. It's we haven't done it the other direction, but yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> won't. It's really appropriate. <laughs> yeah, we won't. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But the point being, like, you can think of it in two ways. You can think of it as like we happen to be family, right? Or we, or we, or it's or because we're family, or because we're not, or whatever. Right? But it's it's basically is it causative or does it just happen to be the case? And I think so many family and friend uh, like workplace dynamics are. There's basically it's in the because category or even in the in spite of category, right? I think the assessment is useful to ask the question if this happened to be your coworkers, right? Mm -hmm. Would you continue in this way? Would you continue working with these people? Would this be good, right? Yeah. Or are you only doing it because it's family? Yeah. Because I think as long as you can keep it in that, because I think that's where all of us are square that, which is like, I feel like we we made a really good thing together and we enjoy it. We managed to make it so we all enjoy working with each other and the people in our company and whatever. Um, means that if you guys were all were just two random people, I would still do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because again, this comes down to like there's, for example, there's conventional wisdom that marriage is hard. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. wrong. Yes. Yeah. It is just completely wrong. It can marriage be, and often is, but it's not an inherent it, property. It can be, right. but marriage is a piece of paper that the two of you have signed. Yeah. It's a it's a contract. It's, right. It's disconnected from the concept of a relationship, actually. Yeah. So what you're really saying, if you if you think marriages are hard, what you're saying is relationships, relationships are hard, which, which means true. every which which basically what you're saying is like any time I've been with another person for a long period of time, it was hard for me. Well, maybe look in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> also, like, what does it mean? What do you say that? Like, do you just mean it requires a lot of work? Because that's true. You know, it can, like it can require, well, it can require varying amounts of work, right? But it's like, what kind of work and what are the stakes, right? Like, if it, if it feels like you're you're like constantly on the verge of having your marriage fall apart, mm-hmm. right? And or, that's been true. Or of, wanting it to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, if that's been true of all of your relationships, then marriage is not what's going on here. Marriage is not the problem. You are the problem, right? In the same way that like working with family is doesn't – it's just working with people. Well, I'd say you're not necessarily right? the problem, but you have to recognize that you are part of the problem because this is all part systems. Of the problem. 
Diana yeah. talked, my wife and I talk about this a lot, where it's like, if we have an argument about something or we're trying to figure out kind of, you know, what's going on, there is always this question, which is, okay, what, like, what role, what role am I playing in this? Even if I didn't, even if the thing is a thing that like I'm mad about, for example, or like I had a bad time with, how um, is there a place where system? Yeah, are you there like, as a, as a team-based problem solver, right? Or are you yeah, there? So, yeah, I'm trying to look at this yeah. from a higher level and be like, okay, what am I doing to possibly, you know, produce? And again, like you can't actually do that if you don't trust the other person, right? Because I've been yeah. in a, had a very abusive relationship in the past. And you can't ask that question to someone who's an abuser because they don't give you the actual fucking team-based answer, which is let me think about that for a sec. They, you know, just heap all the stuff on you. So that's, that's why this is all in Adam's point. There's infinite nuance yeah. here. It's actually not about clear. family versus not family, right? It's actually about... No the shapes people. of your relationships. Yes. And, yeah. and for most people, unfortunately, um, family is the place where they allow, where everybody's allowed to have a bad relationship. Right. Yes. Uh, because in all other contexts, it's just expected that if you have a friend who's mean to you, that you just stop being friends with them. Right. <laughs> but, but it's not culturally accepted. Although fortunately it's becoming more so that if you have a family member, who's just mean to you, that you can cut them out. Right. And or I tell think, them, that, Hey, you know, uh, if you don't quit being such yeah, a draw dick, a boundary of some sort, yeah. Then we're not gonna hang out, and then let them let them decide if they're cut out. You know, there's yeah. that. There's always like, oh, there's all the ways for slicing these things, but it's like the point yeah, is. But the that, point is, is we let culturally speaking, we let family relationships be bad, and that is yeah. why, that is why in a work context, if you're working with your family and culturally, we let family relationships be bad. You oh, can't also have let a work good relationships be bad. Yeah, think about it. Also the, do that all too. the jokes, all, all the jokes them, yeah. about management and stuff, and it's like that's true. It's can again, I'm not impressed if you can like do a hard thing and have a hard time. If you can like suffer through, suffer through, it's just not, <laughs> it's so boring. Like, I'm impressed if you can make a hard thing easy, yeah, or yeah. just not even easy, but just enjoyable, manageable, doable, yeah, satisfying, sustainable. sustainable. How can we have a yeah. good time while we're doing this? bullshit? Right? And it's just a much more enjoyable question. You should be fighting the world together, not each other. You know? That's, yeah. That's what it comes down to, really. Yeah. Honestly, I do remember, like, our our parents had that that saying that they would, something like that, where, like, mm-hmm. when we were growing up, talking about, like, being in a relationship is being on a team, where you're both, you're both working together to solve the same problem. So it's like, it's, you know, the two of you against the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the world's fucked up. It really should be you against the world, you know? Even if the world was great, there's a lot, honestly. Yeah, there's just there's a lot, lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so if if you are frequently getting in fights with your significant other, you know, where you or they are constantly uh, like bringing things up to like emotionally sabotage each other, make each other feel guilty, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's not that, that's why it's hard for you. That's why you're having a bad time. Right. It's because you're if, not actually or if you're working. just not contributing because yeah. if because you're not if, working together. Yeah. Yeah. To, to solve problems. Right. So, so again, like just kind of as a, as a corollary to that, like it does to me, it doesn't feel much different to be like working with my brothers and working with my wife, uh, in this studio as it is to be in a marriage. Right. Which is like, mm-hmm. it's just a team that I'm on and yeah. we're solving problems together. Yeah. Right. That, and that's how I try to operate in any context yeah. where and I, why I you're trying myself. to solve problems together is the thing that differs right <laughs> between like yeah, yeah. and, and, like any the, given relationship, and the, right? the structure like what kinds of problems you're solving right yeah. so like the kinds of problems that like my wife and i solve in our household are different than the problems that i solve with my brothers in the studio yeah. you know mm-hmm. um but the shared thing but, is that in all cases you're just solving problems as a team yeah mm-hmm. so I'm, it, I'm i'm coming into that environment thinking okay what do these people need from me what problems are we trying to solve what are they doing and what can i do 
to help? And if I don't know, how do I talk about that? How do we, how do we align ourselves? Right. Um, and if you, you know, if you, if you approach your relationships, your work, if you approach all these things in that way, and so do the people around you, yeah, that's the tricky part. Then it's all pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or not, so, e- not easy, but yeah. Which is like, not that it's easy. It's that it's, it's doable and manageable. Well, it's enjoyable. It's actually good. And even like enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Let me refer, it's, it's hard for the right reasons, which yes, is that the right, problems exactly. you're solving are hard. Yeah, you yeah. are not, you, you are not each other's problems. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I always, right. that's the thing for me when people always say things are hard, whether it's like a, a marriage context or working with family, whatever, when you use the word hard, I, you never know what it's a too yeah, what does that mean? dumb of a word. Yeah. Cause it's like, it is true that just being with being with a person for a very long amount of time is hard. If by hard you mean requires that you are essentially yep. in constant do, that you do something communication, <laughs> yeah, with that person to make sure everyone's on the same page, stuff, right? That it is hard in that regard, but in the sense that it, there's work involved, right? Yes, non pejoratively necessarily. Uh, when, well, when yes. I talk about it as being easy, I'm talking about relatively because in my mind. All the things that I'm doing with my work and my home relationships, whatever, all those things would be infinitely harder if I didn't have those people with me. Yeah. Right. So like for me, for me, I just say like being married is easy because not being married would be really fucking hard because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have this great person with me to help me get through things in life. Right. Yeah. And so same thing with, with working here. Right. It's. Mm-hmm. It's easy in the sense that compared to the alternative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, so I think actually just easier is the better one, right? Because it's so it's much that easier. It's, easy, right? it's that yeah, if you go, look yeah. at the alternative, it's easier. Uh, and, well, and I think the other part of all this too is it's the explicit versus implicit and expect and, and like the deal of with expectations, right? And as Sam said, really it's all about communication. And if you can communicate really effectively with somebody, however they're related to you, then Man, you got to talk. Constantly. That's what provides the option. Because even think, think of even just simple s- stuff like. We, as we put the business together and then like we you know, turned it from an LLC into an S corp, we always have to have these dis- this discussions about explicit discussions about who owns what, right? Who owns what, who's in charge, who's whatever, right? And what does this stuff mean? And, and in a lot of contexts, family or not, and you see this constantly in like the indie game scene where people are like, mm-hmm. find some buddies, do a game jam, like, ooh, let's start a business, right? Uh, didn't make where, any bylaws, didn't decide yeah, anything up yeah. front. And so, so no here, contracts. here we are like three, three siblings who've known each other forever are on the same page. Don't really worry about alignment problems and so on. But we still sat down for several hours when we you know, converted to an S corp and we're like, what happens if one of us dies or what happens if one of didn't us. Didn't we just update this like two years ago? We like revisited the bylaws. It was, like, What's gonna... Yeah, it was just a few years ago. Or yeah. what, what happens if one of us just goes nuts? That happens. Yeah. What happens, if, our, yeah. what happens if one of us turns into an asshole? That also happens, oh. right? Uh, and, and acknowledging that like, could be me. You know, it doesn't have to like. Could be. You don't have to pick somebody and be like, I'm afraid that person's going to be that. Because it doesn't matter who it is, right? The, the question is just, what happens if, and if you can't sit down and work through all those and then, and do it explicitly. So everybody, cause that's how you just, that's how you discover your alignment. I think about it like death. Okay. Now hear me out. Okay. Because yeah. okay. the thing is, there's a lot of things that people are very afraid to really just look at and sit with. Cause they don't what want those the answers. Yeah. Cause you, cause you, yeah, it's like, it's by exploring the answers you are essentially confronting it. Right. In a yeah. way that feels like maybe I don't ever have to confront this if I never even if we never talk about it, if we never look at it, whatever, right? And I think in many ways it's it provides the same kind of proactive 
in some ways, like healing, upfront healing in a weird way, to be able to sit down, whether it's with a significant other, with a business partner even, right? And have a structured conversation about what happens if X bad thing, which is very possible, yeah. or even yeah. in the case of death, Garen fucking D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or even unlikely, like if I became a worm, would you still love me? You know, exactly. You know? <laughs> Not likely, but, it, but it's good to talk through the answer. And the answer is okay. no. Yeah. No, you're a fucking worm now. Actually, I'm a human. Sense. Sense. And I don't you know love what? worms. I need to know that ahead of time. You know, very important to me. So, but I think it's it's one of those things where I think it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of kind of I guess trust in that relationship to be able to have that conversation in the first place, right? And to be honest about and to be the honest answers. about it. Yeah. But I think that's to me like if you can't have that conversation with your buddies or who or your family who you're going to start a company with, what happens if we have to fire you. Mm-hmm. How are yeah, we going to do that? Yeah, and there's no legal terms laid down for how that's going to work. Yeah. Or, or even just like, again, problem solving is it? Because I think if you can get on board, maybe this is a good test. If you could put together bylaws about how you, what happens when you fire each other in your company and also what that means in terms of like, how are you going to, this is not the bylaws, but just like, how are you guys going to behave then in a family context after that, you know, talk mm-hmm. through it. Because again, it would it could happen. What if, what if the business dissolves because I fucked up a deal? I couldn't yeah. get the money from a sale on time, and the fuck the business is gone, like just destroyed overnight. So what happens then? How mm-hmm. yeah? How are we? Have you thought about that? You know, how are <laughs> yeah. we still in a relationship? Because again, like the thing you're making will someday die, right? Like yeah. the studio. You you might life. die first, but you might die first, but definitely the, like the thing's gonna go at some point, and so or even yeah. if it doesn't, you have to give it over. It's like you have to ejected. So what the fuck does it mean when that happens to both of you, both in the business context as well as in the just you as people context? Because you can't talk about that. It's the same idea as like a a prenup in a marriage, right? Which is similar. Like, just like with anything, a prenup can be wielded for evil, right? But at base though, like what it's supposed to be for is to make it so that both people come in Having talked about the reality of the fact that we're entering into a complex legal contract and with shared ownership, with shared ownership of assets, and we need to understand and and be in alignment on what does that mean? What happens if this partnership dissolves? Right? I think to me, it's just and if you can't have that conversation, there, you also can't run a business together. I guess is the short of it. If you're not willing to have a conversation about that stuff, then like, yeah. Because again, it's That's also yeah, a red flag. It is yeah. uncomfortable. Of course it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's but uncomfortable. Like, Absolutely. Once you back up on a high level and just get into problem solving, it's very fun to be like, well, if Seth got hit by a bus tomorrow, then I guess we'd have to do like X, Y, and Z things. Well, yeah, and it's, and it's interesting. Yeah. If it falls into like now, it's the interesting and fun category. Too. So, because like, I think for me, like the one that's the weirdest for the, the, the S Corp problem, right, of is, is what happens if one of us gets divorced, right? Yeah. To me, that's the most interesting one because, because our spouses, are basically sort of side effect co-owners of the studio. Like they, they sort of happen to own half of our shares, our, our individual shares, but only if we get divorced, right? But the bylaws are the way they set up the bylaws to like make that be a manageable thing. Is that that what that means practically? Is that the moment somebody gets divorced, their shares just get bought by the other two, yeah. right? Yeah, and then yeah. also known as the company, right? Yeah. The, comp- yeah. the, the company, company yeah. buys that person out automatically. It's just what happens. So that's what we agreed to in our bylaws, right? And so then now it's like, so say it's me, right? Then now, like me and my wife, we just get a third of the value of the company. However, we evaluate that, right? And 
then then you deal then, with that however the fuck you're gonna. And then we deal with that however we're gonna deal with you it. Don't but now drag I don't, the company into it, right? Yeah, but yeah. now I'm not now I'm not an owner of the company anymore. Is actually the outcome of that, right? But well, she, she, I mean, your wife wouldn't get all of your shares. No, she get half right. of them, right? right. So get half, right? So, so I could, you're still I could, an owner, but I could rebuy, right? Because I could basically like rebuy my, you know, half of what I used to own's worth with the with half of the money that I got or whatever, right? Um, so like, but now I'm a, I'm a, I'm well, a minority it's weird, right? owner, because right? And, because yeah. technically you did buy it because you own, you will still own a sixth of the company instead of a yes, third, yeah, right? Yeah. So the company, which is you, buys out your wife's shares. Yeah. Right. But now and I'm, a, then, but now I'm a minority owner in the thing. And, and so, but yeah. the point is we talked about it, right? Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we've got it, we've details. got it all written. It was, it was a couple yeah. years ago, but yeah. Yeah. yeah like, my point is just, it's, it's really, down. it's really interesting because <laughs> you, and, and that you have to, you have to work through all this stuff of like, what? happens if and and also just and understanding like it, it gets uncomfortable there's no there's no world in which like the bad outcomes are also feel fair right because they're bad because they're bad so, so what you have to do is like figure out okay given that given that then the question is what is the how do we all get on board and alignment with just what we think is the best we can do in those scenarios right and and whether that's in a relationship or there's a business context whatever it is the ability to have those conversations successfully is what dictates the ability to work together as a team. Yeah, and I will say, I know, I know some people are fearful of basically the idea that by say entering into like a business relationship um, with someone who you've been friends with or who is family or a romantic partner, that by virtue of doing so, that like it will it may change the relationship. Quote unquote. Um, I have it a spoiler will. for you, which is that, but also like you kind of the relationship changes. Over time, exactly. Also yeah, just that's what I mean. Yeah. All it the changes when things change. So yeah, it just going to change. If your if your goal is to try to keep your relationship as static as possible, uh, newsflash, it's not going to work very well. It's going to nope. become a bad time. You know. In so many, in many ways, it makes the relationship become more of what it is. Right. That's like, true. If you, you have just, a lot of distrust yeah, coming, it'll into still it, change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to have even more. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, actually, and it will. When, like it'll reveal stuff. Definitely. Like if you, because you have to now talk about stuff you never had to. Never realize you need to talk oh, about. Yeah. Now you have to, right? And that yeah. might, and it is true that 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 can the consequence of going through that process can dissolve a relationship, right? As you discover, because things that you had not previously even talked through or thought about, you discover, holy shit, we are way out of alignment on these things. And if you discover you can't get to alignment, yeah. then that's that's true. That's a possible outcome. And of course, that's bad. That's a bad outcome. Nobody likes that. But also. Probably that would have happened eventually. You just did yeah. it sooner. Yeah, you, know? yeah. you just you just discovered that you built your relationship castle on a swamp. Yeah, well, not even necessarily on a swamp, but just like the reality is that like there's there's just there's just a lot, and like as pressure mounts, the aspects of your personality in many ways crystallize in certain moments and become more apparent. Diane and I have talked about this with the whole having a baby thing. It's like just the sheer amount of pressure that our little system is under is enough that some things that previously maybe happened like once every couple of years in a way that was not really noticeable become more interesting and more noticeable as little patterns because you actually get to see them more often, right? Because everybody's under more pressure in the same way that like in a business context with you guys, there's a lot of things that like I've never had to work through with anybody else in any other context and certainly not with either of you. Until we were and in this never exact would context. have if we hadn't worked together. It yeah. never would have. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, like, yes, it is wise to ask the question, like, do I want to pressurize my relationship in this way? Can it withstand it? Right. That's yeah, a, that is a good it, question. Yeah, that's, to ask. that's fair. That's fair because it's not inevitable that if you couldn't survive running a yeah, together or being married or whatever, 
that that also means your relationship in its other shape was doomed to failure yeah, or, yeah, or negative even in any way because it might be that it just doesn't matter that you're not in alignment on correct things you a lot of times it's face, true right? yeah, a lot of times it's true and yeah. and i think you know we see like the number of divorces that happened during the pandemic also the number of marriages but like there's all this stuff happening where you get these in, these moments of increased pressure that cause things that maybe were just kind of hanging out and not really a problem to become suddenly far more apparent, either in their virtues or their issues. Or we're a problem or now a deal breaker or, you know. Exactly. And so it's like, there's just, there's the pressurization thing, I think is the question to ask. Like, it, can our relationship withstand the pressure? And again, if you cannot have that conversation, I don't care how excited you are about whatever fucking idea you got, do not enter into yeah. a business. If you go to your partner and you're like, hey, let's start a business, let's put together some bylaws so we can figure out what, you know, how the structure of the company's going to work and like what happens and blah, blah, blah. And if they're like, no, nah, fuck it, let's just go. I just want to like make it. crypto, you yeah. know? It's like, okay, let's go. Yeah, mm, new business partner. Yeah, yeah. do right? not. Like, <laughs> do not do this. It is, yeah, do. yeah, which is the summary, right? The most important thing in any partner is that whatever the kinds of problems that you're going to be facing, you are talking right. about them yep. and deciding and what's going to happen. With it. And you can talk about them. And you can successfully uh, navigate differences of opinion, differences of alignment to the point where you can come together and be aligned enough. Because like the fact is like you know, we and we have little like mini arguments sometimes on the podcast that people hear. Right. And we also have lots of debates in real life during <laughs> during our work stuff. Right. We're in alignment, but we aren't in agreement. Correct. Right. As in like we have the same overarching goals. We have similar opinions and beliefs about how the world works. Right. But on any given detail, we just disagree, right? On almost anything. Yeah. But we also recognize Listen. how little that probably matters. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> so, so much of what we do is we try to figure out how to navigate, like, when are we discussing something because it's just interesting to discuss, right? When are we discussing something because we're trying to solve a problem? And when are we discussing an alignment issue? And when there's an alignment issue, yeah. And and being able to differentiate all those things because it's and accept the fact that it's okay, it's okay and in fact good to just because the reason that we also can succeed as a company is because if we were all in agreement on everything, then why have all we three just, of us? We would just, just triple down just on have being one wrong person. about both yeah. There's no value. There's no value to the team in having a bunch of people who just think the same thing, right? The benefit comes in along those disagreement points. Um, so you have to figure out how you're going to navigate that. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, which is also okay. Which is also where another potential risk of working with family is, is if you come from the same background and end up with very similar ways of thinking about things and mm -hmm. very similar life experiences, then you don't really get that diversity of opinions about things. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we, we happen to look out, we're like, we grew up together, but we actually had very divergent interests growing up. Mm -hmm. And then we all went to college for completely different things. It had totally yeah, different, different life colleges. experiences for yeah. a while. Yeah. And then we then we converged back together. Um, and, you know, Sam and I were joking at the beginning where like when it was just Sam and me making games, we would we would have opposing opinions about things. It's, it's like, like oh, yeah, oppositional meaning like there's two possible ways to think about this and I'm on one end and Sam is on the other. And then Adam comes in and somehow he finds a third completely perpendicular opinion mm -hmm, that's yeah. not even oppositional. It's just over there, yeah, right? Just somewhere else. Uh, yeah. So somehow we're all three disagreeing about the Everything, same thing. All the time. In multiple well, dimensions. And again, I want to point out what was interesting yeah. is when we had the conversation about Adam joining full time. Because again, it was a conversation, you know, it wasn't just like. 
It was inevitable. Yeah. There are so yes, we talked for a long time. There's so many questions because of course he just finished getting a fucking PhD. So we were like, Are you biology? <laughs> do you want to do this? Uh, and then beyond the certainty of, of his, there's also a question. My biggest fear was like, was basically because of this oppositional problem. Like, oh, are we going to have like a weird like two on one thing for everything where it's like, oh, sorry, you get voted off because, you know. Well, and Sam, I think you were worried agree. that that Adam and I would generally agree against you because yes. growing up, like Adam and I are closer <laughs> in age, mm-hmm. right? And so growing up, it actually was for at least some of the time, Adam and me against Sam. Correct. I was also a, certain, a baby. Yeah. Because yeah. I was, three, I was like, four or three years younger, which is like, that's long enough that I was just kind of annoying, you know? Yeah. yeah. But then like I once Adam, once uh, Adam became a teenager, then he was like, actually, I hate both my brothers. They can, they can fuck off. Right. Yeah. And like, that was the thing for a while. Like we all kind of had adversarial moments in our relationships because, hey, teenage boys, testosterone, bad social Let's ideas, but you know, whatever. <laughs> like it's just stuff that happens. Uh, so, you know, some of that baggage comes in and and creates concerns when you come back together later in life to form a company and you talk about Again, it. Again, yeah. Talk I literally it. said unreasonable it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and Adam was like, God, that's not an unreasonable concern. Yeah. However, I, I don't think that's a problem because yeah, I can't guarantee that's not what's going to happen. But I was like, I've never agreed with anybody in my whole life. So I don't think that's going <laughs> to start yeah. now. Yeah. It might have looked that way earlier, but it yeah. was not. Yeah. And then we had a few. I think we just like worked together for a bit before even you came on full-time just to kind of see how that would be. And mm-hmm. it became very clear, like I said, that this was the third leg of a stool thing. Where it was like, oh, actually now we're just fighting about now, even more things, which is great. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, and so much of that, was, <laughs> or that early time was also us, all three of us trying to navigate, like, when does it matter that the thing that we think is true, that we couldn't get it, because usually our goal is to basically get to a new position that we all agree on. Yes. From different starting points, right? But that doesn't happen every time. I don't even know if that happens most times. It happens a lot of the time at this point, right? I don't think but, it happens as much now because we're better at focusing on what the actual problem is. As yeah, I think now we care less, right? Yes. If yeah. if we're like, a li- if, if like, if I can tell that like, oh yeah, the way that I think about this is not the same, right? I'm now much better at telling that, but also it doesn't matter, right? As in like, at best, well, it's probably a side grade, you know? So like, it doesn't we even matter. We know that matter. the higher level goal is X. So, you know. Yeah, and we're getting there. And so then it's fine. Well, and with life experience, you realize that uh, your your confidence and your own opinions goes down. (laughs) Right. Like, because you've seen enough things that you realize how you can't possibly know most things. Right. And so when you're trying to decide what to do, whether it's like a pricing strategy, such and such. Mm You you can come into the conversation with ideas about what you what you think matters um, and what the outcome should be, but you actually can't really prove it. No, well, that's like, yeah. At this point, none of us, because right. I think we've as we've adapted and learned the nuances of the world we live in and the market that we're operating. Yeah, like it's if, if if either one of you came to the table really confident about something, that's when I would be like, All right, I got I went to fight on this one, not even because I think you're wrong, but because Just we don't have yeah, we don't have a right to be confident, right? Uh, yeah, but the fact is, at this point, like none of us are ever confident about anything, which is why it all works. Because then we like, because what we actually do is we air the laundry of why all of us are not confident, right? Mm-hmm. And then we talk about it, and then we come up with the best thing that we can. Where we, where I would say we're never like all fully in agreement that that the thing that we chose together is the best one. But we all agree there's no way to know what the best one is. Well, I th- we agree no, that I, it's right. the best we could come up with. Yeah. So I think, I think <laughs> we agree that it's good enough. What we're agreeing on yeah. is that the method by which we've come to an agreement or a decision, decision. Yeah. is a good method, right? Yeah. On, on average. 
is oh, sufficient. I think the method is how I the method, it, yeah, yeah, the method is sufficient. We yeah. agree on the method. The it's the best we can kinda do. Kind of random. Depending on the day. Well, fucking yeah. no. You know, but like yep. the method's good. <laughs> Which is also helpful for, you know, not for like the whole blame-free aspect. Because like Sammy mentioned earlier, like what happens if I fuck mm-hmm. up a deal, right? And the yeah. answer is like, unless we you, in, if deal. you intentionally fucked it up, that would be a different question, right? But yeah. if, yeah. if it just went haywire, even because of like a bad accident that you made, right? Or whatever. Sure, yeah. Like, yeah, I'd have to get over some initial like, oh, fuck, you know? But then after that, I'd be like, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that happens. So now we yep. figure it out. And if the end result is the studio collapses, then that's just the thing that happened. Yeah, we'll move yep. on to the next thing, you know? Like, it figure that out now yeah, it's as be- a team. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> remember, everything dies. Just just PSA. Everything <laughs> dies. Yeah. And you can't what? agree that things are <laughs> uncertain and there's no way to know the truth, but then also get mad at somebody when they something they do goes wrong, right? So in, in summary, I guess, be honest, working with family is fine, communicate, everything dies. Yep. You know, yep. I think it's probably a good uplifting note to, yeah, to leave the podcast. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. And as always, if you haven't yet, head on over to Steam and give Crashlands 2 a wish list. Uh, you know, we're, we're bearing down on launch at some point in the know. near future. And every little wish list uh, helps boost the thing up on the charts. So we'd really appreciate that. Get in there. Get in there. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.